25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the west right tight. That's left. 372 Y The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Let's go. Hour number two of the show has begun. It is official. We have begun. Hour number two. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team. In all 82 counties across the great state of Mississippi. Your hometown heroes, your local Farm Bureau insurance agents. And we stay connected to you here on the show, and we're on the air, on the air. But when we're not on the air, also I'm tweeting and texting and uploading and live streaming and you know a little bit of everything. Thanks to Seaspire, the number one network in Mississippi, Seaspire, where they are customer inspired. You got to check them out at Seaspire.com. Deals going on right now. You can get a new phone; they'll deliver it to you. Yep, you don't even have to go to the store. Pretty cool. Hey, and always looking for you to be a part of the show. Love to hear from you. Lots of great text interaction in hour number one. That was fun. That was fun. Feels like football again, even though we're just manufacturing it somehow, some way. Thank goodness for the draft this past weekend. So that was fun. Good phone calls as well. Y'all hit me up on the country pleasing text line. It's 885-ESPN. It's a 601 number, 885-ESPN. Or 885-3776. Call me on the Divinity phone, Divinity Equipment, Madison and in Jackson. Highway 51, Madison. Spring Ridge Road in Jackson. Big time deals going on right now on Kubota's. At Divinity, call me at 995-1059. It's a 601 number also. 995-1059. So y'all hit me up. What do we have here to start us off on the second hour here? To start us off on the text line, what do we have here? Jackson Mailman said, Georgia has had five times the talent of state with how many titles? Yeah. How in the world has that escaped Georgia? Because they have been there. I mean, they've been there, right? The last two years, signing as many four- and five-star players as anybody, in some cases more, and now throw Texas A&M into that mix. You look at their last what, two, certainly this last one, recruiting class under Jimbo Fisher, which you know good and well they're about to stack them up there and make a run at it with Jimbo as coach and Ross Bjork as the AD. And two, we're kind of in the – I think that's another thing, too, that not for today. It's a conversation for another day. The um, the idea that we are living in the in, – both the post Cam Newton recruiting era and the and kind of the post Ole Miss recruiting era, you know, because that whole Ole Miss thing it went on for so long. But during that whole time, all the experts kept saying it's going to be really interesting to see what it's going to 
you know, be like on the recruiting trail and the whole recruiting scene after they get done with the Ole Miss deal. So now we're post Cam Newton. We're post Ole Miss. I don't know. It just feels like, you know, it's just kind of opened up. It, it, I, I may be I may be crazy, but it seems like people were much more scared of NCAA sanctions 10 years ago um, than they are now. <laughs> so uh, 10 years ago, nine, eight, nine years ago, we had just exited the, the post Cam Newton thing. And now we're post Ole Miss. So we could be about to enter a new stretch, I think, for some people out there. I mean, for goodness sake, it would be tempting for just about everybody. Uh, James. Get a Matt preach, brother. It says, hail freaking state from James. He said, and then he said, God, I love this Matt. Get him. Bulldog. He, I mean, James was so excited he couldn't type fast enough. <laughs> Reservoir Dog said, did somebody take Matt's country please and sauces this morning? Nope. I had uh, some andouille. Sausage with grits this morning. I just made it for myself. That's what I had. Sausage from Country Pleasing. Just kidding. He said, I love it. You got it. Jay in Baltimore. He said, let's give props to the guy who hired Dan Mullen, Greg Byrne, who also hired John Cohen. A couple of nice hires, no doubt. Don't you think, I mean, we, we'd have the state conversation as far as turning their situation around it would absolutely be the instigator would be Greg Byrne, but I still think the the Terminator would be Dan Mullen. <laughs> you like that? It's like naming pitches in the movie Major League. <clears throat> Reservoir Dog. Serious take. He says, I give Dan Mullen all the credit in the world. Great coach. He deserves a ton of credit. But I wonder how much of State's improvement over the past 10 years has been the natural result of increased TV money shared among the SEC teams. As to why the same things haven't happened in Ole Miss, it might just come down to culture and scandal. And I think it's fair thoughts if you're just comparing those two. Because like I said, I mean, at Ole Miss, you really dial into it. You can't point to just one thing. They have been through everything, it seems like. Yeah, so... I just think you, you, you really all of it. And, and I got some of this reaction when I put that on Twitter over the weekend after the draft results. You look at the numbers overall, and which those are, and I, this is kind of what I was reacting to here. LSU sets a record. They have 14 players drafted. Alabama with nine total. Georgia and Florida each had seven. Auburn with six. Mississippi State with five. South Carolina with four players drafted. Tennessee, Texas A&M, Kentucky, Missouri, and Arkansas each had two, and then Vanderbilt had one player drafted. So State in the top half of the league, you know, had five players drafted, a bunch of free agents. But, you know, for State, it's a program that, you know, has just for a decade now been trying to climb into the realm of the top tier of the league. And I know that there's there's been some highs and lows, right? Like there was a low of – in that time of reaching a bowl with five wins one year in 2016, where they post-Dak Prescott, they lost to South Alabama in the season opener and all that kind of stuff. That was kind of a low, but also a few years earlier, you had a, a high of, you know, Dak Prescott and kind of leading them to number one in the country for a little while. And, you know, but 
just a decade of trying to climb in there consistently with the better programs around the league. And they had a long way to go when Dan took it over. And then you look and see where they are and kind of the run of NFL players and where they produce it and what their reputation is now in terms of developing players. It really is incredible. And I pointed to that. And, and some people said, yeah, but it takes more than one or two guys. It takes more, it takes a village. Well, that's definitely true. It it takes so many things. But if if I were to use the word most, who who is most responsible for for where that program is right now. I think you'd have to say Dan Mullen, and we're going to talk about that right now. So I agree with your points, Reservoir Dog. I, I mostly do. Let's say Squirrel says, slamming someone on air, asking them to text while they're driving, then telling me not to call to defend my text. Wuss move. <laughs> what an idiot. Look, Squirrel, you texted us. You literally texted us at, 1249. Within one minute, I asked you to text back the answer, and you say you can't text because you're driving. <laughs> I mean, come on, bro. That's terrible. If you're driving, you shouldn't have texted in the first place. <sighs> with some people, it just won't ever work. You cannot reason with the unreasonable. Bull said, uh, okay, you sent me a link. I'm going to read that, Bull. Thank you. I'm going to read it. Okay, so the question we had in the first hour, now it's Mississippi State's turn. What happened to Mississippi State over the last decade? I've chronicled some of this before, but, you know, we're kind of sitting here after a three, four-year stretch, maybe five years, I mean, but a long stretch of some first-round picks, a, you know, quite a few draft picks overall. Uh, like I say, I mean, this year, you know, five draft picks. And sure, two of those are in the seventh round. One of them, your quarterback. Four of those five that were drafted were recruited by Dan Mullen. Five picks this year. One behind Auburn, one ahead of South Carolina. So, in the last decade, you say, what happened to State's program? Well, what happened is they elevated themselves. They're not in the top upper echelon of the league right now. They're not in that top three or four. They're not in there with Alabama and LSU and Georgia in terms of recruiting and therefore a chance to win the SEC outright. They're, they're not there yet. It takes a long time to get to that level. It takes a long time to get to where you can recruit at that level. There's so many things that go into that. That's just the truth of it. But that's where that's what they are driving towards. Now, again, a long way to go. But to this point, they are a program that is not even closely, like they don't even resemble themselves when Dan Mullen took over the program. So if I were to give you like a full sentence answer, what happened to the state's program in the last decade? It would be Dan Mullen took over as head coach and turned it into consistently a program that's in the top half of the SEC. Top half. 
They're turning out more draft picks. I mean, this year they got more than South Carolina, Tennessee, A&M. Now, that may not stay the case. They're improving at Tennessee and they're improving at A&M. But you got to stay. That has to be the case, right, if you want to stay there. That's the whole trick. There's ways to kind of keep on the up, that upward trajectory. But people need to realize when I look at it, you know, I, I, I have this perspective. I've followed the program closely for a long time. I know you have too. Greg Byrne made the hire. Obviously gets a lot of credit. But the but it's Dan Mullen and Dak Prescott. One and two. They are the two individuals that I think are most responsible for the elevation of that program to where it is now to consistently turning out handfuls of NFL draft picks and that kind of thing. You know, consistently just going to a bowl game every year. You know, I mean, it's, people go, well, that's not necessarily what you're shooting for. No, but you got to remember where state's coming from. That's a part of this. And I've said it before. I know it's 2020, and you're starting to go, well, we're kind of getting away from that. Yeah, we are. I get it. But again, we're, the question was one decade. What happened the last decade? Okay, well, in the last decade, you have to remember, Mullen took over a program that was at the bottom of the league. They were the school that you'd look up some years and go, they didn't have anybody drafted. They were at the bottom of the league in facilities because of revenue, because of lack of attendance and fan support. You know, what, two years one year, two years before Dan Mullen took over as head coach, of course, Greg Byrne is responsible for this. You forget, State was a was wearing Russell. They were a Russell school in the SEC. That wasn't that long ago, y'all. A decade. It was at the bottom. Okay? There was not one single thing that you pointed at at State's program and said they did well. Maybe other than the fact that Sylvester Croom had kind of steadied the academic part of that program, it seemed like. Mullen takes it over, and in year two, they won nine games and ran Michigan out of the Gator Bowl. Consistent offense. What was it, year three? They had a first-round pick, Fletcher Cox, whom he signed. Now, Cox did commit to the previous staff, but Mullen and staff kept him committed, signed him. He goes out as a first-round pick. What, in the top 15? All of a sudden, things start happening. They start developing players. You know, a former two-star player in K.J. Wright goes and gets drafted, and he's been playing for the Seattle Seahawks ever since. Just story after story of stuff like this. Now, it's not, at that point, it had not been what they really needed to get that program kind of like on everybody else's level, which was a skill player like a Dak Prescott. And then that happens, right, after in, in 2015. And Dak goes and is the... Rookie of the Year in the NFL in 2016. The combination of the buildup, the work that Dan Mullen did as the head coach, parlaying that into a Dak Prescott plays for you in 2014, kind of becomes a household name as a, you know, a fringe Heisman candidate that year, but everybody around the country knew who Dak Prescott was. And then two years later, he's a Rookie of the Year in the NFL as a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, which is like being a shortstop for the Yankees. Those two people and what they did and accomplished are the two things that have elevated that program to where it is now. 
a lot of where it is right now, 10 years ago, a lot of you, a lot of us, didn't think it was possible in the pecking order of the SEC. Did not think it was possible. A lot of people can't believe it. It's just the way it is. So, to me, yes, you can go back to Greg Byrne, you give absolutely a ton of credit for making the decisions. But that's one thing. Somebody's got to do something for it to matter. Just like I was talking about earlier with the, the, the mad mailman. Is, you know, you can say blue-collar Mississippi made. I'm talking about actually doing it, not just saying it. It's one thing to make a hire and say what we're going to do, but actually go do it. Consistent offense every year. Consistent defense every year. To the point that when Dan Mullen handed the program off to Joe Moorhead, man, that thing was stacked. And there was talent, not on the level of Alabama, not close. Mm. Not on the level of Georgia, not close. But talent, yeah. And what, for the first time in your school history, you had three first-rounders last year. Two of those they recruited out of JUCO. One transferred away from Georgia into JUCO. They went and got him. One of those three first-rounders, a guy they recruited out of high school, which is Jeffrey Simmons. But that's kind of what the what feels like or felt like the crescendo. So with all that said, now the game, it's about the next decade for State. And the next decade is even harder than the last one. As difficult as it was for State to play the long game with Mullen as the head coach and two years of Moorhead, the long game of, we want to develop players. Like I said, there's a story today. State's up there with some big programs in the number of former three-star prospects that have come out and gone and gotten drafted in the first three rounds. They're up there with like LSU and Ohio State. Well, they played the long game on that. We're going to be consistent. You know, every now and then there will be a crescendo, eight, nine wins. Every now and then we may dip and get in a bowl with six. So they did. They did it with five. But consistent. Build it over a long period of time, but steady. We're not chasing the headlines. We're playing the long game to build this thing to where we can then make a jump. Well, how do you make the jump? That's where it is now. It's about turning the page from the last decade into the next decade. And this is just the start of it. How do you do it? Five draft picks this year. In, in three years, how do you have eight? In six years, how do you get nine? How do you have nine draft picks like Alabama had this year? That's the deal. In a state with less than three million people, in a state with another SEC school in it with less than three million people, how do you do it? That's why I say this next decade, this next move is the most difficult one. Now, if you're a state fan, here's what you hope. What you hope is that the way to do that is by doing something you've never done before. And that is throwing a ball like crazy all over the field. Because with Mike Leach as your head coach, is what you got a chance to do. And, and we talked about that when Mike Leach was, Leach was hired. We talked about it on this show. 
State's got a history of offensive linemen. It's now got a, an incredible history of defensive first-round draft picks. All the way back to Johnny Cooks, right up to Jeffrey Simmons last year. Okay, you've got that history. Can you now do something you've never done and build over the next decade a resume of quarterbacks in the NFL, receivers in the NFL? And is that the key? Do something you've never done. We'll see. But it has been a total transformation as we look at the 2020 draft. Okay, because the 2000 and 10 draft would have been the first draft after Dan Mullen took over at State. In one decade, it has been just an entirely new paint job on the whole thing. So now what about the next one? That's the whole key. You know, they say in football, you don't stay the same. Every day you go out, you either get worse or you get better. How do you do it? All right. Stick around. Still a ways to go. Here, hour number two in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Stay with me. Back on the show. Interesting text right there from the mad male person. I, I got to know more about this. <laughs> he said, he said, all I can tell you is that state fans are reminding me of Ole Miss fans back in the day. He said, just look at the state fans in Madison County. And then there's a laughing emoji. And I'm like, what is it? I wonder what he means. Or we, I, I assume it's a he. I shouldn't do that. Should I Beaver? Yeah, it could be, let's see, mad male person. Because it, it says mad male person. It could be a woman. I don't know. Them. Okay, so I want to know what they are talking about right there. Just look at the state fans in Madison County. Okay, well, you know, ma- male person, I can't read that. <laughs> he says, I thought history didn't count if it wasn't after 92 and relaying from the state fans. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, modern history. <clears throat> that seems like a little bit of a mo- oxymoron, doesn't it? If we say modern history, uh, true maroon on the country pleasing text line, eight, eight, five ESPN says, who was the last state wide receiver to be drafted and start? And then asks if it's Justin Jenkins. Okay. And I looked it up. But was Justin was Justin drafted? He's actually not listed as being drafted. 
And if I'm looking at this right, I think also I, I would have misspoke about something last week when I said that a guy that I played with, our one of our offensive linemen, who's outstanding, Randy Thomas, drafted by Bill Parcells in the Jets back in the 99 draft after the 98 season. And I said he was in the first round, but he wasn't. That was the second round. Yeah, he was drafted in the second round by the Jets. Yeah, because prior to Derek Sherrod being taken with the last pick of the first round in 2011, prior to that, the last first round pick State had was back in 96. That was a pretty long stretch. You know, pretty good little stretch there between first rounders. And then that's picked up a lot recently. So again, if this list is correct, then and I just don't I don't I guess I'm misremembering it if or if this list is wrong, but I don't think Jenkins was drafted. And no. he was not Beaver? No. Uh he was okay. an undrafted free agent. Okay. The Eagles signed him in two thousand four. Okay. Two thousand four. All right, so 04, State didn't have anybody drafted that year in 04. So the answer is, y'all, the last wide receiver drafted out of Mississippi State was Eric Moles in the first round in 1996. How about that? You know, so Squirrel was texting me about talent. Text me about talent. <laughs> and wide receiver drafted since 96. So you're never fixing to try to change that. Now, I will say, I, I know, I know, I know all the arguments, but the Cowboys are actually bringing in Stephen Gidry as an undrafted free agent. And I'm telling you, Gidry has the physical ability to fit right in with an NFL wide receiver group, has the physical ability to fit in with them. It's just a matter of running routes and catching the football. You never know. You just never know at a position where they have a bunch of people, you know. So appreciate the question. All right, you can be a part of the show. Hit me up. Text me 885-ESPN on the Country Pleasing text line or call me on the Divinity Equipment phone, 995-1059. That's a 601 number, 995-1059. Let's get into some uh, stuff. See what it sounded like. Roger Goodell, they have 55 million viewers. The most watched NFL draft of all time. We know all the reasons why. And he says, well, it went so well, we might do some more of this in the future. You know, we're forced to adapt here and to change and do this differently. But it's actually been a lot of great learning. Uh, we've, we've seen some things that uh, we've maybe called stumbled on that really I think will be elements of drafts going into the future, uh, the ability to use the virtual platforms in a way that uh, we really didn't think about until we were forced to. And so I think we're really going to be able to make future drafts even better because we're going to be able to combine it with the core elements that we've had. But I think that's one of the things about the drafts. It just keeps evolving and it keeps uh, it keeps getting better because we keep learning. Hey, Roger, how'd you think it went overall? Yeah, it's been a really fun ride for us. Uh, we're just so thrilled. 
I think the fans have really embraced it. Our clubs have embraced it. The players have embraced it. Um, you know, our partners have been awesome. You have been extraordinary in, in ESPN and our NFL network and ABC. We're just, we're so, uh, we're so happy and, and thrilled by this entire experience. There you go. Went off without a hitch for the most part. Pretty, it, look, it was fun to watch. Really and truly. Do you care to watch the draft the way it's always been, where it's on site somewhere and the commissioner walks out on the stage and there's fans there, or just watch it like you just watched it, where they're hopping around in living rooms all over the country? Seriously, do you care? I think there are a lot of people that would actually prefer the draft coverage we just had versus what it normally is. I really believe that. I didn't mind it one bit. All right, and here's another story. Now, it's sort of linked in the draft. Not really. Look, the Saints are giving Tommy Stevens a chance. I'm incredibly happy for Tommy Stevens. Quarterback out of state, Penn State, transferred in there for one year, could not stay healthy this past year at Mississippi State. When he was, at times he showed flashes of being really good. You could see why he's got all the big upside. He's huge, first of all. He runs really well. Supposedly they time him at a 4-4. And... He can throw it. Big arm. It's just a matter of he's always banged up, right? He couldn't stay on the field at State. But the Saints drafted him in the seventh round, going to give him a chance to come in there and compete and do something. Why not? Give him a shot. If nothing else, even if he doesn't make the team or whatever, the good thing is the good thing for Tommy is all these connections he's going to make. If he wants to get into coaching or talent evaluation or something, you know, as a as a future. Hanging around Drew Brees and Sean Payton, you kidding kidding me? The other thing is, okay, what if he doesn't make the the roster? Is he going to be a practice squad player? You have a great chance to be a practice squad player for the Saints. And then if, you know, there's a need or something, or maybe as big and fast he is, maybe he has a chance to play in a hybrid role the way Taysom Hill did. Who knows? It could be good. I mean, at, at minimum, it's go hang out with him for a while and make those contacts. But Taysom Hill, he's going to re-up with the Saints, the backup. You know, a lot of people think he could be an NFL quarterback. He's not thrown very much. He's an incredible athlete. We know that. But now the Saints are bringing in Jameis Winston. Taysom Hill said on the NFL Network he still believes he is the Saints quarterback of the future. Look, playing this sport is you, you're at risk to, to get injured and, and things. And um, But at the end of the day, my goal has always been to get on the field and to, to compete. Um, and as we've talked before, my mindset has never changed. It was always I had a hope and a goal to have an opportunity to compete to be the guy um, for an NFL franchise. And so I think this, this contract – is reflective of that, that, um, you know, it's, it's allowed me to still utilize my skills and, 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 uh, as, as far as what I did for the saints last year that, that I'll be able to do this year. And then it creates an opportunity for me to, to compete, to be the guy, um, the next year. Hey, Taysom, how do you feel about the saints bringing in Jameis Winston? You know, coach, coach and I had a conversation before free agency hit, um, kind of what his plan was for me. Um, I had had multiple conversations, you know, following that. And I knew that we were always going to bring in another guy. You know, I, I didn't know who it was going to be, but um, no surprise there. I think Jameis is a, is a good football player. 
um, and, he, and he's a good quarterback. And I think the nothing has changed for the New Orleans Saints. The goal always has been, and I think will always be, to win the Super Bowl. Um, and so I trust Coach Payton. You know, he's created so many opportunities for me, and, um, you know, I, I think it's great. Taysom Hill. He says he's, you know, still thinks he's a quarterback of the future for the Saints. Jameis Winston going to be the backup. You know what's going to happen. Y'all just remember that I told you. It's April the 27th. I don't know when we're going to start playing football again, but when we do, you know what's going to happen in this scenario. The Saints are going to play their in-division rival, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, twice. The Buccaneers, whose quarterback is Tom Brady, who replaces the fired Jameis Winston. Jameis goes from Tampa, former number one pick, over to be the Saints backup. Drew Brees is going to get a little banged up. Jameis Winston is going to play for the Saints against his former team and beat his former team and Tom Brady. You know it's going to happen. That's how sports works. (laughs) Four draft picks this year for the Saints. First rounder, Cesar Ruiz, uh, the big center out of Michigan. They got a linebacker, Zach Bond from Wisconsin, the tight end, Adam Troutman from Dayton, and then the quarterback, Tommy Stevens out of Mississippi State. Wrap it up with you next here in the Farm Bureau studio. Stay with me. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Back on the show. Getting ready to wrap it up with you. We'll have a little fun here at the end. Uh, Thanks for listening today. Still a little ways to go, and I'll take your texts and phone calls here. Text me on the Country Please and text line. It's 885-ESPN. Call me on the Divinity phone, 995-1059. Micah in Texas text me and said, did you see where former quarterback Nick Tiano has agreed to terms with the Texans. Big news for him. That is big news. So he wasn't drafted, but he is an undrafted free agent. You know, I'm really proud for him. He's a great guy, great family. And signed with State out of high school and Dan Mullen. Then transferred back to UT Chattanooga. Finished out there. And uh, is getting a shot with an NFL team. Happy for him. Listen, you know what's interesting about that, Micah? When Dak Prescott was moving on to the NFL, someone asked him, hey, you know, of the guys who are there at State, who do you think is probably going to wind up replacing you as the, you know, the next starter? And he didn't say Damian Williams, and he didn't say Nick Fitzgerald. He said Nick Tiano. Sure did. Maybe Dak knew something. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, uh, I was just looking at the list, too, about state players drafted. The highest quarterback drafted ever, all time, at Mississippi State. Y'all know who it is? 
John Bond, third-round pick of the Cleveland Browns in 1984. The highest quarterback drafted out of Mississippi State all the time. Just thought I'd throw that in there. My boy, John Bond. Where are you, John? Hope you're having a good Monday. I know you're out there maybe, maybe listening somewhere. On this day in 1971, the final episode of this show aired... Y'all know what it is. It's Green Acres. Green Acres is the place to be. Hard living is the life for me. Land spreading out so far and wide. Sing along. Keep Manhattan. Just give me that countryside. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Yes. New York is where I'd rather All right. One of the actors who played a big role on Green Acres was named Tom Lester. He played the part of Ed Dawson on Green Acres. Tom Lester, born in Laurel, Mississippi, went to Ole Miss, went to Laurel High School, went to Ole Miss, passed away one week ago today. Sure did. Tom Lester died last Monday in Nashville, sure did. He was a big part of Green Acres. I didn't. I knew he was from Laurel. I honestly didn't know that he'd gone to college at Ole Miss. Sure did. Hey, speaking of '71, so it was this day, 1971. So the same exact day, April the 27th, uh, 1971, when Hank Aaron for the Atlanta Braves made a little history. The note here says Braves outfielder Hank Aaron joined Babe Ruth and Willie Mays as the only major league player to hit 600 career home runs. Of course, we know he went on to hit over 700. Hammer and Hank's historic homer, <laughs> say that five times fast, a 350-foot drive over the left field wall was off Gaylord Perry in the third inning of a 6-5, 10-inning loss to the Giants at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Now, I looked for the highlight, and all you had was a voiceover with the most 70s soundtrack I've ever heard. Early in 1971, Perry was pitching, Aaron hitting, and the result was Hammer and Henry's 600th home run, a plateau shared by only three men, Ruth, Mays, and Aaron. <laughs> and then we got to see it. We didn't have the play-by-play -play call. But well, we had some 70s music for sure as the, the soundtrack on that thing. On this day in 1983, Nolan Ryan made history. One-two pitch, strike, three call on Mills, and there's the record breaker. So Ryan strikes out Tim Blackwell to catch Walter Johnson, and he strikes out Brad Mills to own that record all by himself. 3,509 strikeouts for Nolan Ryan. So it was on this day in 83 that Nolan Ryan became, at that time, the all-time strikeouts leader. You heard it with uh, just under 4,000. He went on to record 5,714 strikeouts. So he is the all-time leader, Nolan Ryan is. Ahead of Randy Johnson at number two, Roger Clemens at number three. 
Uh, Greg Maddox is at number 10. He's in the top 10. A bunch of other guys. But this is what I noticed. I just glanced at it. The top 15 all-time strikeouts leaders. Top 15 all-time. Every one of them in the Hall of Fame, I guess, except Roger Clemens. Anyway, we make such a big deal out of left-handed pitching. 13 of the 15 all-time strikeouts leaders are right-handers. <laughs> so just take that for what it's worth. On this day in 1996, Barry Bonds made history. And Bonds hits one high and deep to left field. And there it is! Home run number 300 for Barry Bonds. Yeah, so what was significant about 300? This guy went on to hit over 700 officially, right? <laughs> I had to, I'm sorry. The deal was that he became only the fourth major leaguer to have 300 home runs and 300 stolen bases, and that was in a 6-3 that one you just heard went over the Marlins back in 96, all right? The, others, the other three that had 300 home runs and 300 stolen bases, Andre Dawson, Willie Mays, and his father, Bobby Bonds. Isn't that a cool deal to be a part of? I mean, it really was cool. Did I, did I catch this right? That this is the same day that Willie Mays hit his 600th? Surely that wasn't all on the same day. I mean, I guess it could have been. I don't know. Um, this happened. This was pretty cool. This happened in Major League Baseball. On April the 27th, 1982, Reggie Jackson. You know, he made a name for himself, obviously, as Mr. October with the Yankees. Well, he left the Yankees because they decided not to renew his contract. He immediately went and joined the Angels. He immediately got to go right back to New York and play against his former team as an Angel. The New York crowd loved him, and he sees one pitch and nearly hit it out of Yankee Stadium. And Reggie hits one out. First pitch, upper deck, right field. First pitch from Gidry, and Jackson creams it into the upper deck in right field for his first extra base hit of 1982. You think Yankee fans aren't giving Jackson some kind of welcome, a standing ovation? Really an unbelievable reaction to Reggie Jackson framing a Gidry pitch. You think Reggie's still out of Yankee uniform. He comes out and he takes a bow. Uh, the Yankees crowd went crazy over an opposing player, Reggie Jackson, hitting the home run. A bunch of fans started chanting, Steinbrenner sucks. He comes out, does a curtain call, and the Yankees fans go crazy. Kind of a surreal scene. You hadn't seen anything like that, really, other than that particular moment at, uh, at Yankee Stadium over the years. Hey, and also I wanted to share this with you. Uh, on this day in 1947, they had Babe Ruth Day. 58,000 people at Yankee Stadium for Babe Ruth Day. He was sick. He had had throat surgery. He was dying, basically. And he actually showed up there and spoke. More than 58,000 jam Yankee Stadium on Babe Ruth Day to pay homage to the famous Sultan of Swat. The Bambino, who has lately suffered a serious throat operation, is welcomed by some of his thousands of junior admirers as his glamorous diamond career is celebrated at every ballpark in the nation. 
Baseball's most colorful player expresses his warm appreciation to all. There's been so many lovely things said about me, and I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to thank everybody. Thank you, thank you. I mean, that that was Babe Ruth. I saw the video and heard the audio, and bless his heart, he could barely make a sound. And then I know they wanted to have the day before he got to where he couldn't be there. But, hey, and to his credit, he got up there and, and spoke in whatever way he could. Micah in Texas, final text of the day here, says, it was on this day in 2019 when Jake Mangum took over the all-time hits record in the SEC. One year ago today, against Georgia, Mangum got under one, lifted it over the first baseman's head. It kind of fell between he and the right fielder, and there he stood on first, the all-time hits leader in the SEC. Four-year player, and it's going to be hard, hard, hard for somebody to go catch him. No doubt. That's what records are. They're hard to catch. All right. Great show. Enjoyed it. Have a little fun on a Monday. Let's do it again tomorrow. Same time, same place. In the Farm Bureau studio. See you then. 